0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 29 through 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And now would you open God's book, please, to Acts chapter 13. And if you want an outline of the sermon, well, that's where you can have it. Acts chapter 13. So good to see you here tonight. I, I love preaching. I've been at it a long time. When I read the great sermons of the Bible... I'm fascinated by all the details, the art of preaching and how they have a progression that keeps you going. And you think about, I mean, what sermon in the Bible can you think of that would probably rise to the surface? This has to be the greatest. Well, you say, obviously, you think about the Sermon on the Mount. You think about Acts chapter 2 and Peter's sermon there. I just think you need to add to that list, if it's not already on there, Paul's sermon in Acts 13. What I want to talk about tonight. And some of the things that appeal to me. You got you've got a, a progression. He reads his audience. He knows who he's I, I sometimes I'll hold a meeting. In fact, this is very common for me. I don't like to to send my topics ahead in a gospel meeting and people often want them. And I told a man a couple of days ago, I really wish we didn't do that. And the reason is that but by, by Sunday night, I, I'm apt to change the subjects I want to talk about. I've been around the people. I know something about the demographics. I know something about the ages and the, and the personality of the church. And I just, I just uh, often will change my subjects. And here you have Paul talking to the Jews. And he knows. He knows their hearts. He knows that, that what they're about is holding on to the old law. And how do you, how do you persuade people? in a very small window of time, that Jesus Christ is a son of God, and that, that the truth about Jesus being the Son of God is not contradictory to the Old Testament. All that they believe and all they hold to is consistent, as Paul would say in Galatians three, the old law, this old testament was a schoolmaster, school to bring us to Christ. It it all fits together all through the Bible. Well, Paul's gonna do that. Now I want you to start with me and I won't read all the sermon, but I want to read a chunk of it. We start in verse 17. And what I want you to see, and if you have a paper Bible, what I've done in my margin here is to write books of the Bible that he touches on. What I love about this is that it's going to connect you, I mean, to this first century. You, I, what it is is that Paul is preaching things with which you are very familiar. What you've been teaching your children growing up, and I taught mine, Cindy and I taught ours, about these Old Testament greats. That's what Paul's going to do. He's going to walk you through the Old Testament. Now, we're in 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. So you have Genesis and Exodus. Genesis and Exodus, now 18. 18. For a time, about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. There's the book of Numbers. 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. Joshua. 20, after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet, obviously judges. Now, first and second, Samuel. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king. I think what he's doing is getting them nodding. This is a persuasive lesson. He wants to persuade them that Jesus is the Son of God, and Jews struggle with that. They're struggling with it today. What he's saying is, you need to read your Old Testament. If you want to know about Jesus, read the Old Testament. So he reminds them, and they're, they're nodding their heads. They remember about all of these different events. Back to 22, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, his descendants, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now he inserts that in there. This is where we're going with this. According to your Old Testament and what you know about David, and everybody sitting there love the memory of David, we've got this promise of Jesus, a Savior. 24, we keep on with the history. After John had first preached, the, John the Baptist, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, John prepared the way for Christ. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to lose. Wow, we have just covered in a few verses a lot of history. And now he's starting in on stuff that they either haven't heard or they're not very familiar with. He's introducing them to Christ. Now, verse 26, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, descendants of Abraham, Jews, and those among you who fear God. To you the word of this salvation has been sent. It's for you too. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not know him nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath have fulfilled them in condemning him. Did you ever read Isaiah 53? You suppose that what happened was that they fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus, Psalm 22, did you ever read Psalm 22? You think that was fulfilled? It was. 28, and he says, it's read every Sabbath day. The voices of the prophets told you this was going to happen, and these Jews, your rulers, fulfilled it. 28, and though they found no cause of death in him, he wasn't guilty. They asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, he's talking about the Old Testament. They took him down from the tree. They laid him in a tomb. I've underlined verse 30. This is a critical point. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm reading from New King James. Glad tidings is the Greek word for, and you've you've anticipated this, the gospel. The gospel. We declare to you the gospel. Glad tidings. That promise which was, was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. Now, he's going to give you three Old Testament passages. Now, as he goes into these three, each of these is going to turn a light bulb on over the heads of these Jews. They're very familiar with these. They, they know where they are. They've heard them all their lives. And now he's going to say, you know what? These passages apply to Christ. These are about Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. Here are the three. As it is written, this is verse 33, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. And here we go. As it is also written in the second Psalm, this is Psalm 2 and verse 7, You are my son, today I have begotten you. This word of begotten, of course, you know that it, it means to sire. It means a father bears his children or has his children. I have begotten you. But, of course, this isn't literal. And through the Scriptures, you often have times when the word begotten is used in a figurative sense. Take, for example, 1 Corinthians 4.15. Paul is saying, though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you don't have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. What's that? They were born into the family of God by the teachings of Paul. And Paul uses the word begotten for that. When God raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection was a form of God begetting him. Now he comes forth from the dead. He's begotten of the Father. I'm convinced that that's what this is talking about. They're familiar. Those Jews are familiar with Psalm 2 and verse 7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 34. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Now, truth is, the reason I, one of the main reasons I want to preach this sermon is because I'm fascinated with that phrase. And, and we'll come back to it. I want to spend a few minutes on that in the second half of this sermon. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Now, in your margin there, if it's not already written, that's Isaiah 55 and verse 3. Verse 35. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, this is Psalm 16, beginning in verse 10, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. All right, each of these is big. Each of these goes right to the heart of these Jews. They know these passages. They just haven't linked them to Christ. The Messiah has come. He was treated and crucified just like your your prophet said, just like they said. And, and now you've got to follow him. Now, hold on a second. This, this idea in verse 35 about the Holy One seeing corruption, I'm not going go to go to Psalm 16, even though we could. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2. Now keep your finger or your string there, in Acts 13, and let's go to Acts chapter 2. Because you have here Peter using this same argument on Pentecost. Start in verse 25. For David, here's Peter preaching. He's preaching along, and he brings up this very same passage from David. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. Ladies and gentlemen, Hades is the de- the realm of departed spirits. And Jesus, now Jesus didn't go to hell. He went to paradise. Remember, he said to Mary, don't touch me. I ha- haven't yet ascended to my father. And he said to the thief on the cross, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Where Jesus went when he died was to paradise. Hadean realm, the realm of departed spirits. But you will not leave me there. You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. The word corruption means decay. You won't allow my body to decay. Now, you know what the Jews thought? They always thought that David was talking about himself. And that doesn't make any sense, but that's what they thought. Read on. Now, I'm in Acts 2 and verse 28. You've made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Peter takes a breath and he says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. I think he was pointing. I think that Peter was pointing to that tomb to say, you know what? If you dig him up, if you uncover that grave, that tomb of David, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find the remains of David because that's where he is. In other words, his body did see corruption. Now, thirty, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades. You probably need to underline the word his, This, this pronoun, his. It's in two places there, so that when you read this, you'll emphasize those words. That his soul, Christ's soul, was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And then he, he explains some more. So back to our sermon from Paul in Acts 13 now. So Paul says in verse 35 of Acts 13, Therefore he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, he died, was buried with his fathers, listen closely, and he saw corruption. His body decayed. This business about this applying to David, that this prophecy about his body wouldn't see corruption, didn't apply. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus Christ. And now Paul says, you know what? We're witnesses of this. He was crucified on that Roman cross. He rose from the dead the third day, early on Sunday morning. And we saw him after his resurrection from the dead. It was a discussion or a description of Jesus. Now, I want to go back. Back into Acts 13, to where I, I mentioned a while ago, I really wanted to talk about this. It's in verse 34. So here... Paul has given us three Old Testament lines with which the Jews are familiar, but they never really attached it to Jesus Christ. He says, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. The one he's talking about is the one who was resurrected from the dead. But now look at verse verse 34. I will give you the sure mercies of David. What is that? Well, Keep your string there. I'm coming back at the close of this, but I want to go to Isaiah chapter 55 and show you exactly what that is. Isaiah chapter 55. Let's begin in verse 1. Oh, everyone who thirsts. I've underlined the word everyone in my Bible because whatever he's about to talk about is applicable to all people. You know, it's a lot like this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. How are they going to buy if they don't have anything to buy with? Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. What's that? What this one has to offer, you can't buy. You don't have the wherewithal to buy it. Now, it's not uncommon in Scripture to have the truth of Jesus described or Jesus himself described as food or drink, our necessary sustenance, Look, for example, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Or John four fourteen: whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give, he'll never thirst. Or what about John 6 and verse 35? I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Well, that's what you have in Isaiah 55. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And let your soul delight in abundance. Incline your ear. And come to me. Hear, and I. And your soul shall live. And I will make. And I've got this next line underlined in my Bible. An everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Now. The sure mercies of David. Some translations say it this way. The the ASV says, the holy and sure blessings of David. The New American Standard says the same. The NIV, and I'm not an advocate of the NIV, but it did phrase it in a way that I think is better. It says, the holy and sure blessings promised to David. I believe that's the most accurate rendering. The, The holy and sure blessings promised to David. What, what, what is that promise to David? What was David promised that is the sure blessings to David? Let's look at Psalm 132 and verse 11. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will sit upon your throne, the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. From the fruit of your body, I'm going to set up a king on your throne. You know who that will be? be Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was born, what was said was, this is one who's going to sit on the throne of David. And that very statement fulfills all of these prophecies, these promises about King David. What was the sure mercies of David? And the answer is, in the same verse in Isaiah 55 where it was said, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. You know what that is? I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. That is to say that he'll bring Christ, he'll bring redemption in the gospel, and when you become a Christian, and when you became a Christian, you have something that's going to last until the trumpet blows, There won't be another covenant. It's going to be the covenant through Jesus. It was what was always intended, what always was planned, and the Old Testament was preparatory to bring us to Christ. You're in Christ, why? You're part of that everlasting covenant, and that covenant is the sure mercies promised to David. Now let's finish up. Go with me back to Acts 13 and the sermon of Paul. Now to verse 37, or 38 rather. So he's given us this, this is not much, I mean, it's very short really, but it's a great sermon. It's so very good. You you have all these Old Testament, It just hits the high spots. And all those Jews are, yes, yes, that's right, that's right, that's right. And then he introduces Jesus. And he says, remember the prophecies about the crucifixion and Jesus has fulfilled all of these. You got that? Well, okay, okay. And then he gives these three Old Testament prophecies, and he says, you know these, and I want you to know that every one of them is fulfilled by Jesus, not by David. This corruption, David did see corruption. You want to go over and look at his grave? He did see corruption, but Jesus Christ did not, and we're proof of that. We testify to that, and now he's going to wrap up the sermon. And what you have to do when you Wrap it up, and what he's going to do is to try to bring it all together. And I I would say that this is the invitation. This is it's not, they're not going to sing a song, but that's what you've got here. So let's go to 38. Therefore, let's wrap it up. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, I've got that underlined. This man, through Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Where are you going to get it? What can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And by him, everyone, I've underlined everyone, who believes is justified. I've underlined justified. You know what justified means? In today's vernacular, when we talk about a court case, it is acquittal. Justified means something very similar to acquittal. It means that the debt's been canceled. You no longer are responsible for the charges at hand. You have been acquitted from that. You've been justified from that. And by him, everyone who believes, that is, who follows Jesus Christ, who believes his laws, following his will, is justified from all things, ready, I mean, this is pointed. This is right to the point. From all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Don't you be holding on to that. That won't do you any good. What you need is the blessings that are promised to to David when he promised an everlasting covenant. Now, verse 40. I love this. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Now, what I'm about to read here is in italics in my Bible. It starts in Habakkuk 1 and verse 5, and it's just three verses or so, where Habakkuk is warning the people of his time about the Chaldeans coming. You better repent of your sins because what's going to happen in the future? The temple's going to be destroyed. The city's going to be destroyed. You've got all these terrible things that are going to happen to you. You better repent. You better turn. So, So Paul says to these Jews, you want to fulfill another prophecy? You want to fulfill another one? You, you stay on the path that you're on without Jesus Christ, and you will fulfill this one. Behold, you despisers, marvel, and perish. Perish means to be utterly destroyed. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. They, they, those people in Habakkuk's time could never believe that this magnificent temple that, that was just beautiful and designed by God, that that could ever be destroyed. Of course, that's what happened because of their sin. Don't you be thinking, he says, that this prophecy can't apply to you. It'll apply to you, even though you don't believe it. You can't imagine it, that you would be lost eternally, but you will. If you cling to the law of Moses and you reject the law of Jesus Christ, our only hope is in Jesus. Our only hope is in Jesus. There you are. There's a sermon on, I give you the sure mercies of David. And I hope that, I hope this week, you'll take a few minutes and you'll pick up your Bible and you'll turn to Acts 13 and in just one sitting, read again the sermon of Paul on this occasion. It is rich in meaning and it's as applicable today as it ever was for us to, to know just how valuable it is to be in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you a Christian? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power and are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Tonight you can be repent of your sins and confess his name and we'll immerse you in water just like the Bible says for the forgiveness of your sins. Would you like the prayers of the Christians tonight? However we can help you, we want to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.